The story is told of uh, these two brothers that inherited uh, pieces of property right next to each other. It was farmland, and uh, each of them very happily uh, tilled the land next to one another, plots right next to each other. They uh, exchanged supplies. They shared uh, farm machinery. They uh, pitched in and helped each other with the harvest as needed at various times. It was a tremendous uh, arrangement. And then this, this collaboration they had um, suddenly took a turn for the worse. Um, there was a small misunderstanding uh, that arose between them, and it, um, it began to escalate, as sometimes these things do, often with families, it seems, and uh, it began to really get out of hand, and, and then some very harsh, hard things were said between them. A volley of mutual assaults went back and forth between them, and then they fell into silence, and they separated, and they no longer talked. And it went on like this. One morning, a a rap came on the door of the elder brother's farmhouse, and he, he went to the door, and he opened it up, and he looked outside, and there was this kind of workman standing there, a guy in dungarees, actually, kind of the the, uh, tra- a traveling laborer look about him. And the man was holding in his hand a, a, a toolbox. Actually, it looked to be a carpenter's box. And the man said, I'm looking for work. Have you got, have you got any projects that I could take on for you? And the man, uh, the farmer thought for a moment, and then he suddenly went, wow, yes, your timing couldn't be more perfect. Actually, I have a particular project I have in mind. He said, you see that farmland over there across the creek? And the laborer turned and looked, and he says, yeah. And he says, he says well, that's the land of my enemy, says the farmer. And, and, and it used to be just that there was this little meadow between my place and his place, but now you'll see there's a creek, because my, well, my, that enemy took a bulldozer to the river levee, and now there's water flowing in between us. And that's the way it is. And that's the way it's going to stay. And the carpenter asked him, well, what would this have to do, perhaps, with his need? And, and, and the man went on and explained that, that, that he wasn't just going to stand for that. That his brother had dug that creek to spite him and that he was going to do him one better. And he said to the carpenter, I want you to go down over there. You see that pile of lumber down there over by the barn? I want you to take that lumber and I want you to build me a fence right by the edge of that creek. And I want it to be a high, I want it to be an eight-foot fence because I never want to have to look at that farmhouse or see the face of that guy again. To which the laborer nodded. And he said, I think I understand your need. Well, let me get to work on that. And so the farmer and the carpenter went down to the pile and they sorted out the supplies and they moved them down by the edge of the creek. And then the farmer went off into town to conduct his business for the day. And the laborer set about his work. 
Well, at the end of the day, the farmer came back and the sun was setting. And the carpenter had finished the job. And the farmer was shocked, frankly, by what he saw because where he had expected to see a very well-built fence, he saw instead a very well-built bridge that had been constructed from one side of the creek to the other side, crafted quite beautifully, frankly, with a set of polished hand rails, no less. And across the bridge was walking the figure of his brother. And for a moment, the older brother stood on the other side, absolutely uncertain of what to do, and then something seized him and moved him. And he walked forward, and he met the other in the middle. And the two reached out each other's hands to each other. And the younger brother said, how amazing that you would build this bridge after all those things I said and did. And they clasped hands and embraced. A moment later, there was a rattle. And the two turned and looked to the end of the bridge to see the carpenter picking up his toolbox and making ready to go. And the two brothers entreated him to stay. We've got more projects. Please stay behind. Have dinner with us. And he said, I'd love to, but I must be on my way. I have more bridges to build. And away he went with a wave. I have more bridges to build, said the carpenter. I have more bridges, more bridges to build. You have heard that it was said to the people long ago, said the carpenter of Nazareth, do not murder, for anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry, and the word there is wrathful, with his brother will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to his brother, Raka, which is an Aramaic word, in the nearest translation it means, you worthless spitwad. That's what it means. You worthless spitwad. Anyone who says to his brother, Raka, is answerable to the Sanhedrin. That was the Jewish ruling council. In other words, if you make a habit of working out your issues with other people, says Jesus, by talking badly to them or talking badly about them, others are going to judge you for this. Wise and responsible people around you are going to challenge you on this behavior because it helps no one. But that is not even close to your biggest risk, says the carpenter. I tell you that anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fires of hell. In other words, if your usual way of handling grievances is to say, fooey with you, I write you off, 
I'm done with you forever. May you rot in H-E double hockey sticks. If that's the way that you handle the issues, the breakdowns, the hurts that occur between people, don't think that's harmless, says Jesus. You're actually in danger of letting hell into your heart. Because the very nature of hell is hatred and alienation. The very nature of hell, the kingdom of hell, is the breakdown of relationship. Just as the very nature of the kingdom of God is the building of relationship. Therefore, if you're offering your gift at the altar in church and you there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar, says Jesus. In other words, recognize that fixing broken relationships is more important to God than the rituals of religion. Way more important to Him. So first, go and be reconciled to your brother. And then come and offer your gift. Jesus underlines this further by going to the marketplace with an illustration. Settle matters quickly with your adversary who's taking you to court. In fact, as you're going with your adversary to the magistrate, try hard to what? Be reconciled to him on the way. Why? Why should we try hard to be reconciled? Because as bad as things are between you and that other person right now, Jesus intimates, it could get worse. It could get a lot worse. Why, he may drag you off to the judge and the judge turn you over to the officer and the officer throw you into prison. I tell you, you'll not get out until you've paid the last penny. Ask anybody who's ever had a family or a friend or a work relationship really go south, and they will tell you, I wish I dealt with the issues early because they spiraled out of control. They escalated so badly. And this pattern of escalation digs deep trenches between us and others. And floods our lives with regrets and hardens our heart and opens us up to that spirit of hell that Jesus warns us against. With some exceptions, and there are some, and I talked a lot about them in a Forgiven series last spring that you can get on our website. With some exceptions, it is almost always better to invest in building a bridge than just constructing a higher fence. Now, this is what God does. Doesn't he? I mean, think about his record. Uh, Of all the beings in the universe, 
Is there anybody who could more rightly have written off certain people than God? He gave us humanity, everything as far as I can tell. He asked almost nothing. Really. I mean, go back to Genesis. He asked of humanity almost nothing except that we love him and love our neighbors. And he gave human beings uh, only such guidelines as would actually be in our own best interests. That would actually bless us and, and, and advance our life, make things go well in the land. But when humanity rejected him and rejected his way, when we wronged God profoundly, uh, and it's, it's hard to even get our minds around the depth of how profound was the wronging of God after all the grace he'd given, when every natural sensibility, at least the ones in me, would have been to erect a fence so long and so high and so strong that human beings would be left forever to deal with the consequences of all their own poor choices, God would have been spared any further insult or injury or grievances from them if he just built himself a fence In the midst of that reality, God did something so stunningly supernatural instead. He took the lumber that we gave him. A cross, actually. And he used it to build a bridge between himself and humanity. Here's the big theological idea that I'm hoping that all of us are going to walk out with and ponder as we go on our way this evening. God works really hard at reconciliation. That's theology. Theology is what we learn about God. And we learn from the Bible that God really works hard at reconciliation. He does not stand on his pride when he could. He does not stand on his position when he could. But he humbles himself, taking the form of a servant, says Paul to the Philippians. He exercises great patience with people. He exercises extraordinary perseverance with people. He travels long distances. He endures great pain. He risks further rejection. God works really hard at redeeming relationships because life-changing love is the most important thing on God's agenda. It just is. Advancing his life-changing love. To put it another way, our Father in heaven is a peacemaker. He's a peacemaker. Now notice I did not say he's a peacekeeper. Uh, He is not a peacekeeper. God is not interested in just keeping things peaceful as in peace and quiet. 
there are plenty of homes and a lot of workplaces and some whole communities that look very peaceful when there's actually a cold war going on and fences are very high. Right? And if you look at it from the outside, you say, well, that they're, they're keeping the peace there. God is not interested in false peace. God wants to make real peace. And real peace, as a lot of us know from experience, doesn't get made without confronting painful issues. Real peace doesn't get made sometimes without naming very stubborn sins and finding them in ourselves. Real peace doesn't happen without honest confession, without genuine repentance, without risky forgiveness, because I don't know that this other person is not going to do it again. Reconciliation almost always requires a daring sacrifice of every understandable impulse to put up or keep up our fence. But God works hard at this. God works hard at building bridges. And he has the scars to prove it. That's the theological idea I hope you'll take away. Here's the practical idea that I hope we'll walk out with this evening. Because God works hard, he wants us to work hard at reconciliation too. I mean, he wants us to work hard at reconciliation too. And I love the way 2 Corinthians 5 and 19 puts it. It puts actually both the theological and the practical ideas together in these words. In Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting men's sins against them, and he has committed now to us this message, this work of reconciliation. What I want to ask you tonight is, how committed are you? And you could ask this of me, fairly of me as well. How committed are we to the message and the work of reconciliation in our relationships? When was the last time, and this will be great conversation outside over refreshments afterwards, when was the last time we personally worked hard to restore a broken relationship in, in our life. Um, sometimes we don't work hard at doing this because it's frankly difficult to do and we are not even sure where to begin and we just don't know how. Let's face it, relational peacemaking is sometimes as complicated as actual physical bridge building, right? It takes, it's this engineering process, and we just, we just don't know how to do it. We don't know where to begin and what the next step should be. If you're looking for a manual to help you with this, I want to give you an early Christmas present. Very early. Please get a copy of Ken Sandy's book, The Peacemaker. A biblical guide to resolving conflict in personal relationships. This is a treasure box. This is a toolbox. This is a carpenter's bridge-building toolbox that can enable you to see 
wonderful positive change in the quality of some of those broken relationships in your life. Um, and Ken Sandy is going to give you their step-by-step instruction, much more than we have time to go in today. My intention today is not to delve into the hows of reconciliation. I've done that in many other past messages. My purpose is to motivate you to say tonight, I will. I will work harder at seeking reconciliation with that person across the creek. Every time you work hard at this, every time you try to establish a real peace between you and somebody else, even if you fail, even if the first efforts are a failure, every time you lean into this, every time you go after restoring a connection with somebody that you're separated from by a misunderstanding or ignorance or injustice or conflict, every time you take that step, you show yourself to be a child of your Heavenly Father. It's one of the most luminous distinguishing marks of the children of God is that they do as their Father does. In fact, Jesus said, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. They will be showing their um, likeness to their heavenly parent by the fact that they pursue reconciliation. Few servants of Christ understood that particular biblical vision better or worked harder, in fact, to share it or sacrificed more to advance it than Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., right? This man whose birthday we remember also this weekend. For all of his acknowledged humanity, and he was a human being who made mistakes, Dr. King nonetheless saw with divine clarity how crucial it is that all of us work very hard to build bridges across whatever creeks our sin has dug uh, deep ditches uh, uh, between us. And, and, And this is becoming, if it was true when Dr. King Uh, reflected on this, how much more true is it today as this world gets more and more crowded, more and more complicated, as, as as the struggles and the fights become more and more apparent across so many uh, parts of the culture and the world. These words of Dr. King are needed more than ever. In a real sense, he once wrote, all of life is interrelated. All of it is interrelated. All of us are caught in an inescapable network of mutuality. And in fact, if I could just pause for, put the pause button for a second and say if we could go to the book of Genesis and look again at what God says to Adam and Eve and the careful way he sets up relationships between man and woman, between human beings and the garden and the care of the garden, between human beings and the animals in, in the garden. Uh, he's picturing this interrelated web of life that Dr. King is, is talking about. That, that has all of these mutualities uh, in them. All life is interrelated. All of us caught in an inescapable network of mutuality tied in a single garment of destiny. Whatever affects one directly affects all in directly. I can never be what I ought to be until you are 
what you ought to be. And you can never be what you ought to be until I am what I ought to be. And if we do not learn to live together as friends, he writes, then we will die apart as fools. Jesus said much the same thing. You shall love the Lord your God with all that you are, and you shall love your neighbor as if he or she was yourself. Everything hangs upon this, says Jesus. Matthew 22, 37 and following. Everything hangs on this. On this love. This interrelationship. These bridges. In light of this, you and I get presented with a very serious challenge. The work of reconciliation is so central to the message and mission of Jesus that it ought to disturb us deeply if it is not also central to us. If being about the work of reconciliation is not a high priority of our lives as it was for Jesus, then that should disturb us more. If we cannot point to at least one place where we are even now in the process of building a bridge towards somebody, even though the natural impulse in us is to make the fence higher and wider, if there is not something in us that's always on some pathway towards reconciliation in a broken relationship, can we really say that we are following the way of Jesus? Are we really following Jesus' way? With whom are you going to be a peacemaker this week? Is there somebody in your family, in your field of former friends, from whom you are separated by a river of pain? Is there somebody in your workplace, or maybe in your school, or maybe in your church, or your neighborhood, who has something against you or you against them? Is there someone of a different race, of different politics, sitting or living near you, but across a great divide? There are so many divisions today. We have so many of them in our own life. We have grown so accustomed to spite and to spitting invectives. We've become so comfortable with suing and sealing ourselves off from the enemy. But Jesus says, don't let hell have your heart like this. Don't let it happen anymore. Don't think sitting here in the temple is pleasing to God if out there you've got a fence up against your neighbor that you're not even thinking about possibly ever bringing down. Work hard at reconciliation. 
says Jesus. Work like God Himself modeled it when He laid down on lumber Himself to provide a bridge. Why die apart as fools when by the grace of God we might still learn to live together as friends. Let's pray together. Lord, when our journey on this life in this life has, has come to a, a close, like it did for Dr. Kreider and for Dr. King and for many others we've known. We pray that there will be many who stand around at some party or by some graveside who are telling stories of the way of grace they saw in our lives. We pray that they'll be able to talk about how that great rift between us and -and so-and-so got healed. How that great um, breakdown that seems impossible to repair really saw some progress. Most of all, Lord, we pray that they will have seen such an example of bridge-building passion in our lives that they will be inspired to look more closely at the source of it all, at the one who has inspired this willingness to work so hard at these important things. And in looking, they will see you, Jesus. They will hear your great story, our God, and they will be moved themselves to enter into your peace and to become makers of it in the lives of others. For this we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.